shoulder, we rifle and loot, drink up, me hearties, yo-ho. We kidnap and ravage and don't give a hoot, drink up, me hearties, yo-ho. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. Ahoy, me podcast listeners. Join us at the Three Men in Retrospective podcast as we run a shot across the bow and review the entire Pirates of the Caribbean film series. Listen in as myself and me two mates, Garrett and Matt, walk the plank and parlay every piece of this Disney franchise that has made over four and a half billion in price. We're beggars and flyers and ne'er do well cats, drink up me hearties, yo ho! I bet we'll love by our mommies and dads, drink up me hearties, yo ho! So strap yourselves in, grab the rum, and scupper ye headphones. Percolated media is fixing to pillage your airwaves right now. Drink up me hearties, yo ho! Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. And toast to pirates. Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, released on May 26, 2017, Budget was reportedly between 230 and 320 million dollars. Box office take of 794 million. This was directed by Joaquin Roning and Espen Sandberg. So, Garrett, as we've learned with Fast and Furious, Mission Impossible, Transformers, five is where you hit your stride, right? <laughs> One could hope. <laughs> Although I will say, speaking of hope, I had a lot of hope for this because I did a lot of digging with this one. I was reading a lot of what these two directors, and I'm sure you'll get into how they got this gig. And they were like, you know what? When we got this gig, we wanted to make sure we took it back to the fun that was had in that first movie. And, and that was kind of encouraging to me. I liked hearing that. So this being a first time viewing, I was thinking, you know what? Maybe we will go in stride here. Maybe we can get Sparrow more in the background. Maybe that some things could work out that we were really complaining about the last couple podcasts. We'll talk about it. So I'm glad you answered my question of your excitement as a first time viewer of this one. But Adam, going back to this one, six years removed from On Stranger Tides, at least chronologically, did you have any desire to sit down and watch this? I didn't when it first came out. And Remembering my thoughts on it on Stranger Tides, I did not like it as much as I thought, as much as I remembered. So I thought maybe this one I would enjoy more than I remembered. But when it first came out, the marketing did nothing for me. The look of it did nothing for me. Even having a great actor like Javier Bardem, nothing about this appealed to me when they were marketing it and saying, come watch Jack Sparrow again. Let's talk about the appeal of this movie. Specifically, why they made a fifth movie. Well, Disney needed some money. That's point number one. But apparently, and there's a lot of production stuff with this one, largely because this is the biggest gap in the series. Six years removed from four, as I said. So apparently, Disney wanted to do five and six back-to-back, sort of like they did two and three. And the report came out that, no, we're only doing a fifth movie, and we do indeed have one of the screenwriter duo from the first four. Terry Rosio is going to write a script. Ted Elliott, his partner, did not. Apparently, Ron Marshall was talked about coming back, but he chose to do Into the Woods instead. Thank God. Musicals are more up his alley, and I'm 
that's a pretty famous one to do, even under the Disney umbrella, because if you've seen Into the Woods or know anything about it, it takes a turn. And by the way, Disney did not need money. They were in the midst of the Star Wars films at this point, so... Well, that's true. They were about to uh, start that journey we'll take at the end of this year. But speaking of journeys, mm-hmm. they did reach out to Gore Verbinski, which was a stupid decision, about how does he feel about fifth movie coming out? And he said, there's no reason other than financial in making this movie. And you know what? I have so much respect for him that he said that. The fact that he would say that. I mean, he un coppola this, right? I mean, Coppola, he has flat out said the only reason he did Godfather 3 was for the money. And Gore Verbinski, you know, he's coming off the biggest flop of his career. They're reaching out to him saying, do you want to go back to the bread and butter? And he turned it down. I find that very interesting. But encouraging, uh, respectful, I think. If he didn't feel like there was anything to gain other than financial and he couldn't really tell a good story, then more power to him. But what's he done since? In a cure for wellness. <laughs> Oof. Not the best thing. It's beautifully made, but I knew the kiss of death was when you cast Dane DeHaan as your lead actor. And on the note of lead actors, 2011 Johnny Depp had his ultimate flop with The Tourist. A lot of people thought that was just a one-off type of anomaly in his career. But when you look at the six years between Pirates 4 and Pirates 5, he had some choppy waters. He did Out of Wonderland Mm. 2, which did not make anywhere near what the first one did. And it's not because Tim Burton didn't direct it. At least I don't think. He had this bit role in Tusk with Yoga Hosers. He had done Dark Shadows. He had done Mordecai. Just a string of bad decisions. And it was everything that I resented about him as an actor not including all the personal shit that was coming out around this time. But he did do Black Mass, which was pretty good. That's the only thing in the resume, though, in the five years leading up to this, that I could point to as being an encouraging thing for Depp. And you're right, Depp's career needed this. He had also, around this time, hitched his wagon to J.K. Rowling, because he had started playing Grindelwald right before this came out. Not that that endeared me to him whatsoever. But I think it made sense that he'd come back to this, because his career, at least on a commercial level, needed a facelift, and this is the role that, for better or worse, changed his career trajectory. And he was sold for two reasons. The bag of money they threw at him to do this, and the directors that came on board. So these two guys, not going to say their names again, because if I got them wrong, (laughs) I don't want to double down. These are two guys who made a movie called Contiki, which is based on a famous expedition. So they had dealt with marital stuff and, and nautical filmmaking, time it was the most expensive production in the history of norway cinema yeah i watched that in the lead up to this it's on tubi and so i checked it out and yeah i could definitely see what people saw in that if you can't get gore verbinski you're not going to get rob marshall back i can definitely see how you could see this production and say you know what let's bring those guys on at least they know how to shoot on water so they were brought on and their pitch was let's make a movie that calls back to the first movie i don't think they invented this term but they called it a requel where it's basically kind of like a reboot where, yeah, it's truly a standalone sequel in a lot of ways, although there's elements that tie into the previous ones. But not to say you couldn't walk into this one cold, but I think it'd be easier than doing, say, the third one where it's mathematically impossible to do so. Yeah, agreed. But we had literally gotten that idea six years earlier with straight on Stranger Tides, which could be a standalone film or could be used to kick off a reboot, sequel, mm. new trilogy. They were continuing something started in the movie previous to that. So yeah. I don't know if that would classify as that. I mean, this one is just all new. Well, except that it does. Story-wise. Yeah, but it does tie into that original trilogy it in does. part. So they 
Mm-hmm. They want their cake, want to eat it too, but they didn't make a cake. They made a flat flan. So here's where it gets really dicey. So what happened was Rocio's script was flat out turned down. Apparently it was because Johnny Depp, this goes to show his ego, he said, I don't want to do this because the villain is a woman and I just did that with Dark Shadows, as if he was the only person to have a big movie with a female antagonist. Wow. But they call it, at South Park, s- they call it a succubus. I saw that. I'm not sure how much I believe that. It's. I don't believe Depp read the script anyway. <laughs> well, I see a female villain in something like this to be a positive. I can't see how we're going to bring another pirate here, another pirate with a vendetta against Jack. Why not make a female? I, I don't know if that was Depp or what happened there, but I would have welcomed it. Because, I mean, we saw, what was too. that, Bellatrix? Yeah. And it could work if done right. And look at a lot of the big franchises did that eventually. Terminator 3 did it. Talk mm-hmm. about Crystal Skull this upcoming year. The Bond franchise did it eventually with The World Is Not Enough. But right, that one of these directors does it in his very next film because he did the sequel to Maleficent and turned Michelle Pfeiffer into the villain of that film. Never saw that. But what happened was Disney then hired Jeff Nathanson to write a script. They threw out the previous one completely. And if you looked at this guy's track record... <laughs> uh, there's some good stuff he did catch me if you can with spielberg but he also did the terminal with spielberg <laughs> yeah he did one of spielberg's best movies and one of his worst movies yeah and he also did rush hour he, no and, he didn't even do the first one he only did the sequels speed two first control which if you've seen speed two that movie's reputation is well deserved for being borderline <laughs> it is one of the worst action movies ever made bar none but apparently depp was involved in the writing process to some degree they were all set to go in 2013. But then the studio said, oh shit, Lone Ranger lost us a lot of money. A lot of money. And because of that, because it was Johnny Depp, they're like, is he still bankable? And they needed to wait for Alan Horn, who was the chair of Disney at the time, to give the official green light. So they had a script. They were all set to go, but they needed to wait for the mouse to give them the go-ahead. From there, (laughs) this is where it gets even crazier. Then they started talking about what this movie was going to be. This is where shit changed if you look at the marketing. It went from being another movie in the series with the door for a potential sixth to we are going to market this as the last movie. I think David said like the final journey or final voyage. There was some kind of line that they used to symbolize, yeah, this is probably going to be the, the last movie. Yep. But I guess they didn't tell that to the people who did the post credit scene, which we'll talk about. That script, Garrett, you talked about the, the female villain. I am convinced that was going to be Penelope Cruz. You think so? Which would make sense. I mean, with her being Spanish, them shoehorning a freaking fat king footwear on, trying to shoehorn the Spanish back into this film. If she would have gotten off that island and found a way to command her own fleet, the villain easily could have been Penelope Cruz in this one. Well, if you can't get Penelope Cruz, you call her husband. (laughs) Which is the funniest thing. So Bardem was not the first choice. And this is where just the irony is of both. Wow. So, Christoph Waltz was the first person they wanted for the villain. So I guess they said, all right, we need another villain who has fought Daniel Craig's James Bond. (laughs) That they went in reverse this time. (laughs) But Bardem said, look, he was with Cruz while she was making that movie, so he got to watch the environment on the set. I guess he didn't hang out with Johnny Depp, because he said nothing but good things. And he signed on to do it, as did... (laughs) <laughs> this is so. It was, it was publicized that Orlando Bloom was in the movie. That was put out there, but nobody answered whether or not Kira Knightley was coming with him. <laughs> to the point where he said, "I don't fucking know." Ask her. <laughs> you talk about shoehorning. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I, this is what we call uh, exercising the fourth option. Karen Knightley showing up. She was anywhere but on set for this film. She, I mean, she fucking Zack yeah. Snydered and filmed this in her driveway. Uh-huh. To wait to Absolutely. Well, we got a, we got a ways to go, but the movie came out and didn't crack a billion like the previous one, but still made it looks eight hundred million dollars was nothing to scoff at. I was gonna say that is nothing to sneeze at, man. It, it proved that this franchise can still make boatloads of money. If, if it costs two fifty to three, and then you spend sixty to ninety to market it, and you had to draw down eighty million in insurance again for debt. You barely broke even on this thing. That's crazy. Well, it depends. How much did it do domestically, Matt? I don't have. I have the worldwide take in front of me. I don't. Yeah, worldwide, not domestic. Okay, if it if it cracked the budget in the domestic, then they're more than even. That's the key. Is if you don't crack it in the domestic, then yeah, you lost. Oh yeah, I mean they they made it, but when you spend all in three fifty to four, and you only make fifty, when the other Mm -hmm. ones made an extra. $500 500 million on top of budget. The diminishing returns are are pretty vast, especially when they have mm-hmm. Marvel just printing money at this point. Yeah, and we need to talk about that too. By the time um, Stranger Tides was out, Marvel was really getting off the ground. It hadn't really hit the Avengers yet. By this time, we're getting ready for the second for the third Avengers movie to come out. Yeah. And they were in a horse race for sure. They were, but also if you look at this was a strange period to release the movie because Memorial Day, yeah, it's a four day weekend. But if you look at the movies they had done, Disney's tentpole Memorial Day releases: Prince of Persia, Tomorrowland, and Alice Two. None of them did gangbusters whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of a gamble to put this in that spot. And on top of that, it fell by 65% in its second weekend. That is the biggest drop of the entire series for a second weekend. Um, and there were reasons. You know, the reviews were not great. I think there was a certain amount of fatigue with Johnny Depp. I think even the hardcore fans would admit that to some capacity. Yeah, and not just Depp, but Disney's live action banners were not doing well. You look at something like Tron Legacy, which did okay, but they lost money just on so many other live-action films that, what, almost 14 years later, they still haven't started filming a sequel to that one, and it's just one after another. Prince of Persia was ridiculed in a joke. Tomorrowland, that's another one where I love that film, but it got blasted huge. Yeah, their live-action things just cannot get off the ground, except for Marvel, Star Wars, and Pirates. But I will say, the, so the marketing for this movie, as someone who did not care, there were two things that interested me. Javier Redem was the big one, and Zombie Sharks. Zombie Sharks, what, yeah, I, I had read about that as well. I was looking forward to seeing those. And Matt, you know, this was around the time you were trying to nudge me into scheduling pirates onto the binge schedule. And I kind of was like, you know what? I don't know how good this other one, this new one looks, man. And six years later, here we are. You also turned it down in favor of Transformers 5 because that looked so much better than this. (laughs) To be released only a month later. (laughs) Unlike unlike Transformers 5, this movie's under two hours. Well, it's 2.06. I mean, it's still there. With credits. Yeah, with credits. But look, after the bloated runtime of three and even four, we said, ran a bit long, shaving 15 minutes yeah. off, was there something to salvage out of this seemingly fair with this movie, this franchise that maybe has hit some bad luck? It definitely did. And and like I said, when I sat down to put this on, 
I was, I don't know if excited was the right word, but I'm like, look, here's a Pirates movie I have never seen. I don't know exactly what to expect. The only thing I knew was Orlando Bloom was here and Kira Knightley was going to be here somewhere. <laughs> That's the only thing I knew when I put this in. So I was looking forward to it. And like I said, reading the press and everything, it, it, it encouraged me to really look at this and be really, really excited to see what was about ready to happen. Well, the movie doesn't start all that exciting because you have to sit through another two minutes of logos. Yeah. <laughs> you, got, you got the Disney logo, you got the Jerry Bruckheimer's production company logo. I half expected the goddamn Marvel logo to come up with the way they're just swallowing everything up. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if Jack Sparrow showed up in the Avengers, I don't think anyone would blink an eye outside of insurance companies. But we open with this darkly lit building where we see someone doing some kind of preliminary research. They got a bunch of materials. They got posters of Jack Sparrow. They got a tally marker. Person grabs a lantern, gets out on a rowboat, and we see it's a young child, which immediately my brain's going, all right, this is definitely the spawn of Will and Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I thought they were just repeating the third one where I'm like, is this kid really going to commit suicide to open the movie? Like, why do we keep doing this in pirate movies? Yep, he sure mm-hmm. does. Yeah, I thought of that too. I was like, wait, he's putting that in the water. Oh, shit, he's going down. Oh, my God, they're going to do that again. So he ties himself to a rock, sinks to the bottom of the ocean, or so he thinks. He lands on a sunken ship, which rises up out of the water, and it is indeed the Flying Dutchman, which we have not seen since the end of the third movie. And lo and behold, his father, Will, is on the ship, and while he does not look like Davy Jones, he does have some underwater apparatuses put on his face to make him look a little bit more disheveled. But Orlando Blue really looks like Bootstrap. Yeah, Orlando Blue was too good-looking to make this work. <laughs> Garrett, you're right. He looks. Not only does he look like Bootstrap, his entire performance seems to really be echoing mm-hmm. Skarsgård's. It's like he kind of took the mannerisms, the walk, given the cadence of speech. And for the first time, I feel like Bloom is acting because he's acting like Bootstrap here. Yeah, I, I thought the same exact thing. I see him go down there in the water. The ship comes up and there he is. And yeah, you're right. He's not the young buck on a ship anymore. He's not the one who is the new person running into Jack. Right now, he is disheveled and he is experienced. And he's trying to warn this kid, stay away stay away. I liked what Orlando Bloom was doing here, and I liked the way it was written. Yeah, I like how this is set up, where he's like, I know how to break your curse, and he's like, there's nothing. He's basically resigning to his fate. He's clearly still doing the job of bringing souls to the other side, because he doesn't look like Davy Jones. Mm-hmm. And he tells him, stay away from Jack Sparrow, which I think insurance companies did as well. <laughs> <laughs> so his son, Henry's trying to tell him about this magical trident. It's the ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card because it does whatever the writers want it to. It breaks every curse. So, okay, this thing has to be pretty well-known for everyone in this movie to know about it. Why the fuck was this never mentioned in the previous movies? This is my problem with a lot of these big franchises when they come up with these powerful MacGuffins. It makes you wonder, okay, why weren't these things ever brought up before? And part of it is just they got to keep coming up with objects to make these movies happen. Yeah, you hit it right then. Come on, that's what these movies are. We're going to eventually talk about it in uh, DC as well when we get there. They bring these things up. They've been in existence, but we didn't know about it till now. It's convenience but i didn't really think twice about it honestly the worst part for me is every movie has been about a cursed crew a crew a cursed ship it's a curse a curse a curse and what does this do it eliminates all curses every curse except the ones that are flying out of my mouth when they're explaining this thing because indiana jones couldn't find a worse fucking MacGuffin than this Trident and Erg. Did he find this in there was the there was a script written by frank darabont where it was like indiana jones goes to the lost city of atlantis 
Yep, sure was. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that they, they might have just taken that object. He was after mm-hmm. it, right? And put it in the script. I mean, it's functional, but it, when you have something this all-powerful and it can contradict the previous four movies, it makes all those curses obsolete. It just makes you look really short-sighted as a writer. I would just think that every god of the sea, anybody that's been banished to the sea, Davy Jones, his crew, Barbosa and his crew when they were banished, like, I would just think that everybody would have been looking for this the entire time. So Will tells him, sorry, nothing I can do, go back to your mom. And we cut to nine years later, where he has now grown up to be Dick Grayson. <laughs> uh, no, Prince I was, Charming. Who is this guy? I didn't really look him up. I was just like, where is this guy been? He's been in, Cind- he was in Cinderella for Disney, where he played Prince Charming. Mm-hmm. That was Richard Madden. Brenton's oh, wife. shit. You're right, you're right. No, he was in Maleficent. Maleficent, that's what it was. The first Maleficent, yeah. Okay. It plays Prince Philip. Get your Disney princess right. <laughs> and then, for the last number of years, he's been DC's Dick Grayson in Titans. Gotcha. Four or five years. And I gotta say, if you're looking for someone to be the spawn of Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley, I can see it. Absolutely, I could. Yeah, oh, yeah. I knew exactly who he was. The second he came on screen, I knew who he was. He's even dressed like almost identically to what Orlando Bloom was wearing, like right down to the same hair. Yeah, and again, I think that's because this is made by fans. This is made by two guys who were big lovers of that first film. And so, yeah, I think that is totally intentional. What is intentional is he's a sailor in the Navy, nothing special, and he realizes that they're sailing into what's called the Devil's Triangle or the Bermuda Triangle in modern day, and he tries to warn the captain, but of course, because these are the uptight British monarchs from the previous movies, they don't listen to him, and they throw him in the brig. Yeah. But that bodes very well, because the minute they cross into the Devil's Triangle, they are all picked off one by one by, what is this, the fifth or fourth undead pirate crew? Look, another ghost dead fucking pirate crew. The only difference is they're not pirates, they're pirate hunters. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Although, Oof. they don't really say, you know, whether or not he's actually employed by the Spanish crown as a privateer, or if he's just doing this out of the, the grace of his heart, but... I think this is cool where they sneak up, they can walk on water, and they, they yeah. make, it's more, got more of a horror tinge where they're stabbing people left and right. It's dark. It, it does. harkens back to the first one where they're almost shot I, in a similar way to the, the moonlit skeletons. I was trying to think as Javier Bardem and these guys, they show up and I'm seeing them appear for the first time. And they're right in the midst of this big naval battle, right? This is kind of a routine thing that we have a big naval battle and then something big comes up. And I was trying to think, guys, I was like, these movies remind me of something. What do they remind me of? I was like, oh, shit. They remind me of Metal Gear games. You know, where like you're doing something that's routine, like going through jungles or getting in these big, big battles battles with soldiers and then you'll run into a boss made of bees you know or in this these movies instance like a voodoo princess and naomi harris or zombie javier bordem video game adaptations are in now so i was just i was like god damn like that that's totally what this reminded me of and you know what you guys are saying that we we've seen these are the fourth or fifth undead crew i didn't mind it i like these guys as faces i thought they were really cool to look at i thought their movements were awesome i really dug this crew actually including javier bordem so let's get to Bardem then, because he shows up as Captain Salazar, who is the commander of this crew. And they, they have this effect where because he drowned, it always looks like he's moving in water, at least his hair. It's not quite on the level of something like Davy Jones, 
but at least they're coming up with interesting effects that they've never really tried before. Oh yeah, it's it's cool to look at. Like you can't take your eyes off him when he's on screen, and you can't stop looking at the hair when it's moving around and almost Medusa-like. Yeah, and some guys are like missing their entire face. They're missing. Mm-hmm. It's all based on what's happened. But he comes down. He's spewing the black shit that Danny DeVito's penguin had coming out of his mouth. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not exactly the only one. Exactly how my note was written. He's got penguins, black yep. goo, and he talks. Very thick Spanish accent because Bardem, I think he came into this movie realizing, all right, this script is going to give me nothing to do, so I have to make the most of what I can. And he's definitely memorable. Out of everyone, he's the only one who really gives us a new energy. Everyone else just feels like mm-hmm. they're going through the motions. I like the energy that he brings to it. I think he is a very good villain, honestly. And if he wasn't the first choice, you go with this, you, you can you can definitely do worse. See last week. So Salazar tells Henry that they are all cursed to live in the, the Devil's Triangle. They can't get out. But he says, Jack Sparrow can get me out because of the compass that he holds. Oh, this fucking compass. And I need you to tell this to Jack Sparrow because dead men tell no tales. So they found a way to put the title of the movie in the movie. Ah, they said that. Do the Peter Griffin. Ah, they said the thing. Fuck. The question is, okay, Henry could simply not tell Jack about this and he'd be okay. Like, it's not like they made any kind of a deal. But yeah, it's a, you know, it's a good opening. It's a good prologue. Gets the plot moving. Title card comes up. We then return to, we're actually literally in the Caribbean because we're in St. Martin where there is a, Supposed witch named Karina, who is... Can, we just, can I also say, it's Sam Martin. For somebody, for somebody who has traveled to this area, I don't think I have ever heard it just flat out called phonetically St. Martin. Ever. And I could not fucking get over that while I'm watching this. American ah, imperialism for you. Yes. We know everything. So this woman is being tried as a witch. Now, I know Kea... I'm not even going to try to say her last name from two things. Uh, she was one of the main characters in the Maze Runner series. Yep. And she did a movie called Crawl, where she fought. Oh, yeah. Really awesome hidden gem. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's a short movie. It's fantastic. Yeah, you know, she's really good in it. And she is, I did not call who she was going to turn out to be. I thought for sure she was going to be Jack's daughter. Because her last name is Smith, which is the alias Jack Sparrow uses in his introduction in the first movie. Yep, I thought so, too. And then the movie said, well, I swear Vince Russo wrote this because he, he pulled the ultimate swerve where I'm like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? Speaking of, are you kidding me? She gets out because there's no guards in this prison. She just knocks out the priest and walks out. And then cut to a coronation of the opening of a bank. And as they open the vault, we see the drunken remains of Jack Sparrow. Not that he's dead. That's just where Johnny Depp left all of his bag of tricks because I find him to be 95% of the time insufferable. During this entire movie. I don't think anything he does is funny. All he does is prance around, do stupid pratfalls, tell bad jokes, and mug at the camera. I can't believe this is the same character from the first movie that we were all so endeared to. Because this feels like... I mean, we'll talk about this with maybe when we get to Star Wars. These characters that come back. But the difference is those people left the role for a while. Depp's been doing this for 15 years. And it feels like either he didn't care or the writers couldn't come up with anything. But as it stands, everything with Jack Sparrow in this movie is almost painful to watch. I couldn't agree more. There's no Jack Sparrow in this Jack Sparrow. Right here when he falls, his cadence, his talk, the way he speaks, his mannerisms. This is when it feels like Johnny Depp is playing dress up as opposed to Johnny Depp is playing Jack Sparrow. He doesn't even sound the same. You know, maybe you wouldn't notice if it was four or five years apart, but we're watching them week after week. And it is, 
appalling just how bad this is. And I mentioned before how it seems like he's cut out of so much of that movie and he filmed by himself. There's clear ADR here, probably because he couldn't help but fucking slur his dialogue. And holy shit, is he bad in this film. And it's right here off the bat in this Fast Five fucking bank eye sequence. God, they is stole it. Showing. They stole it part and parcel. It, it, it is shameless. It's the fifth <laughs> movie. We're going to drag a safe. Except yeah, they, this, they don't have cars, so they use horses. But This might as well be Brazil, not St. Martin. So, Garrett, what's your take on Johnny Depp in this movie? All right. So, first of all, Adam, I kept my mouth shut last week because you said that they did a lot of shooting around the fact that Depp wasn't on set. I had heard that about this one, and you can definitely tell in parts that he's not here and they're having to shoot around it and this was the one where him and amber her got in trouble at the airport because they were trying to bring a monkey in and they had to write a letter saying we didn't know there's a whole bunch of shit going on here that we don't even really know about really i don't know if it's ever going to all come out but this is when he had the most issues was on this movie and i am not as hard on him as you guys are i found him insufferable last week here he's okay i think this heist is fun I really do like the way this thing is going through buildings and such. And you guys are right. It is straight from Fast and Furious. But fuck, with a carriage, this is kind of fun stuff. And I'm liking seeing Sparrow like I liked him before. There's nothing about him here that I don't like. Now, there are times when he is. This is definitely not the same character. But I found last week worse than this week. I think this isn't top tier Jack Sparrow, but I'd say it's right in the middle. So my issue is that in the other movies, Jack Sparrow always had a confidence about him, even when you could tell he was making stuff up on the fly. Because in this movie, he's supposed to be down on his luck. All of his successes are purely by accident, but because he's either drunk through most of this movie or he is upstaged by other characters, he doesn't hold his own weight. And that's the problem with taking him from the background into the main focus. There's other characters that have arcs. Not that Jack really does in this one, but you can play a drinking game with the amount of times he just falls on the ground in this movie. It's just tough to watch for me. And even this heist, which is really cool, all he's left to do is just chase after it. And we get that shot of him jumping over the building as everything's exploding. It's staged well. I think this is definitely more confidently made than Rob Marshall's previous movie. But there's a part of me that wishes Jack Sparrow was just not in this movie. Or you kill him off at some point in this one. Because I feel like he's outlived his usefulness, to be perfectly honest. I will go with you on that. But here's the other thing about that. You bring that up. Have we even mentioned since that first movie that Jack Sparrow's dead? That was such a huge reveal in that movie. And they haven't really done anything with it. Mm -mm. Oh, so why not? Oh, why not? He came back from the locker. No, not not that. I'm I'm saying when it was revealed in that first movie that he's one of the zombies. He was one of the one of the, the crew, like Barbosa and everybody else. Right, right. Correct. Why not play with that a little bit? I was kind of anxious to see if these directors would go there with him. I'm with you guys, where I I don't think they do anything interesting with him. I'm not going to totally blame Depp for that, although he was in the writer's room, as you mentioned in the beginning of this, Matt. I just think they just don't do anything interesting with him. And you, you're right, and may, he may have wear out his usefulness. And if you're going to do something useful with him, you're right, kill him off. That would be a very powerful thing to do in this, especially if, let's say, Will's kid takes a liking to him and then he's killed off and because of what Will told him. That, that stuff you could definitely do. They don't do any of that with this. But again, I'm not as hard on Depp in this one as you guys are. His crew is pretty hard on him because once they get back to the, not the Black Pearl, because that's still in a bottle, so at least there's continuity there. His crew is sort of at wit's end with him, where they've been unsuccessful in all their attempts. Even this bank heist, there's one coin that survives transportation. 
And they basically tell him, all right, we're so it's it's very self-reflective where everyone's saying we are done with you, Johnny Depp. Enough is enough is enough. And even Gibbs, who is like his most loyal friend, is like, look, I think it's time we go our separate ways. Which, from a plot point, from a story-driven point, that is a great idea to take away the crew from a captain. What is a captain without a crew in a ship? There is a wonderful idea there, and it's too bad that that idea is in this film. Well, especially because he went from in the first movie his crew turned against him to bring that to this one where they're doing the same thing, but for the opposite reason where they committed mutiny on him in the first one because Barbosa masqueraded it. And in this one, it's just because they don't trust him as a captain anymore. What are we getting out of this? Mm-hmm. And as you said, that could be Disney heads as well. <laughs> <laughs> Henry wakes up and he's held prisoner by he was Faramir in Lord of the Rings. He was in 300. He was in Iron Fist. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> just, just that guy. That guy. Playing generic military. He's basically Beckett Light. Because he had his sleeves marked off or ripped off. They think he's committed, he abandoned battle because he's the only survivor, so they think he just left his post. So he's going to be executed, but he runs into Karina, who is disguised as a nurse. And she tells him that I am also seeking the trident, and I have this diary that's going to act as a map to get to the trident, but it's incomplete, is basically what she says. Nobody knows where it is because the map is something no man can read, so of course we got to have a woman do it. Hollywood, you don't need to have your women come out and say they're strong women who don't need no men. Just have them do it. Yeah, it was called Elizabeth in the first film. Yeah. She just did it. This one, they're making a point because everybody's telling her she can't do it. I'm a woman. Yes, I can't. Like, hello, do you need to put up fucking subtitles on the screen? Holy shit. Well, and in the lead up to this, too, I was reading interviews with this actress and she was saying she was making a substantial effort to not come off like Elizabeth in these scenes. And so I think that's how they're making her stand out. They're, they're doing the Ray thing, right? Where they're having her be this ultra strong person out of nowhere. It's a choice. It's a choice. I like her as an actress. I do like her. Yeah, me too. I like her delivery. I think she looks beautiful. She looks strong. Like she brings something to it. I just, what they write for her. I don't appreciate it all. Yeah, she definitely looks like she belongs on this ship and then with this crew. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, she, yeah. she I agree with you, Adam. She she definitely brings something new, something different to yeah, this. Yeah, well, she fits, uh, um, she fits the time period. She doesn't feel like she was plucked of modern yeah. day. She hits dialogue mm-hmm. well. Cameron Diaz. Yeah, she's not, she's yeah. not Cameron Diaz. You know, she's not insert. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Denise Richards, but yeah, well, it's not enough. It's 20 plus years ago. That shit's almost a period piece now. But before they can accord, she runs off because they realize she's the witch they've been chasing after. And then we cut to Jack Sparrow, as down as his luck can be. He's covered in rain, and he pratfalls into mud, because that's all Johnny Depp has in his belt at this point. <laughs> that's probably how he fell getting to that. Matt is so angry. <laughs> Dude, like, I don't know if I've ever seen a character go from being one of my favorite things, and I'm talking original characters too, which makes it all the more impressive, to I see fire when they come on screen. And I'm doing this independent of all Johnny Depp's personal shit. Especially in comparison to the first one, which this one is so trying to echo. Jack does the unthinkable. He trades his beloved compass for a drink. And even though we've seen him do this in the previous movies, other people have acquired this compass. Thank you. Shit starts shaking. The Devil's Triangle breaks. So Salazar's crew is freed. But why all of a sudden now can the compass do all this shit? Is it because he willingly gave it up? And if so, that's a flimsy argument. But, But he's given it to other people in every single Pirates movie. This is the James Bond loses his status every movie 
and it doesn't matter a couple movies. He's done this every single movie, and this hasn't happened. He's given it to Gibbs. He gave it to Barbosa. He gave it to Will. Like, he gave it to Beckett. He gave it to everybody. He gave it to Elizabeth <sighs> in the second movie to go find Will. <sighs> yeah, this, this is one of the worst. I never thought a, an object that you use to find your own way would cause more wrong turns in this franchise than anything else. I have grown to hate this compass more than most of you have grown to hate have Javier Bardem and Mother. That's how much I am sick and tired of this goddamn compass. Yeah, I thought he was great in Mother. The movie just blew. Love that film. So Salazar and crew, I guess the production team threw up their hands and said, all right, another black ship. Fuck it, we're out of ideas with designing these ships. You got the black girl, <laughs> you got the Dutchman was is gray, Blackbeard's ship was black. <sighs> all right, Matt, at this point, you were already starting to rebel at the movie last week. Let's take your pulse now. How are you feeling at this point with so this? I was, I liked that the movie was not dilly-dallying around, and the villains were freed as contrived as that is. We've already set up our characters. So I didn't feel like the fourth one, where the whole first 30 minutes was just wasting time doing stupid Jack Sparrow hijinks. I was more assured in this one. But part of that is also tying in Will and Elizabeth's son as one of the principal characters. I was like, oh, something that I remember that I can latch on to, because he's got a motive I can relate to and, and sympathize with. Okay. And you saw this in theaters, correct? Yeah, I did, and it was a packed theater. Was it really? Yeah, I went on like a Friday night. If I, if I was going to see this, I want to go in the theater. I wouldn't wait for video or, I guess, straight straight to streaming now, basically. It goes to show how old mm-hmm. even six years ago is. Karina is put back into jail, and we get the blood moon that they talked about a little bit earlier, where now she can read the map. But it's going to do them no good because they have to get there. So Henry goes to, quote-unquote, recruit Jack and this is one of the things I did find funny. This is where the inconsistencies bother me. We see the cleverness of Jack Sparrow where he puts his clothing on like a scarecrow, and then he comes from behind and holds a knife to his throat. But then we do stupid shit like he falls asleep while he's talking to him. It was probably on set. They just kept it in. <laughs> and this, even though I don't like Jeff's performance, sometimes they give him good stuff. Like when he finds out he's Elizabeth's son, he's like, really? <laughs> he's like, did, yeah. did she ever mention me? Yeah, I thought that was good stuff. So they reach an agreement to break him free in exchange for helping them lead to the Trident. We then cut to, did they have Jeffrey Rush under contract and just had to use him? <laughs> he has no business being in this movie. Because I, we're 30 plus minutes and I forgot he was in this movie. I thought he was done at the end of the fourth one. Not only is he in this movie, he's the one who gets the emotional arc of the movie. <laughs> which is weird and, and again even between movies like it's not consistent where it's like yeah this doesn't look like Blackbeard's ship anymore because he's got all the gold and treasure which Barbosa never struck me as someone who was about the material stuff mm-hmm. although I do like how he's pimped out his tag leg and it's all laced with gold now it's funny when they introduced they call him the Dread Pirate Barbosa but they never go back to that title. And I liked it. Calling him the Dread Pirate Barbosa just makes me think of Princess Bride. <laughs> so, and again, we bring back these two dipshits from the first movie. It's bad enough you brought them back in the third one. Did you really have to have them as Barbosa's crew? Because we, we I did, thought it was funny. We don't get the guy with the wooden eye and his little buddy, but we get these two instead. Well, it's like, okay, who, who can we get? Who's willing to sh- come to Australia? Yeah. Well, they also shot in Australia for the record because they saved $20 million in tax incentives. So they tell Barbosa that Salazar is sinking all their ships, and Barbosa, in a panic, goes to see a witch doctor? <laughs> <sighs> 
The only thing that could have made this worse is if suddenly it was like Calypso's twin sister that we had never heard of before. She might as well be. This is basically Naomi Harris 2.0, where she's talking in an accent. She's got all this cryptic shit she keeps talking about. She can show a map through a cauldron. Uh, this it, is, it, this it, is weird. Held hostage by the British government? And then she has the compass. This character doesn't fit in the rest of it. A lot of shit doesn't fit in this movie, but she takes out the worst. So Barbosa says, look, you can't find the trident, but I'll give it a try because Salazar's coming after you. The next day, Jack is on his way to be executed, but he runs into another paternal family member. And if you thought oh. Keith Richards showing up was a, a step too far, he turns around and it's Paul fucking McCartney as Uncle Jack. This was fucking bizarre. And this is when the whole Sparrow thing and the whole wink-wink, nudge-nudge thing goes way too far for me. Boy, did I not like this scene. And it's not like when we saw Keith Richards, it's not like that scene ended up being that long. This one goes on for fucking ever. It's distracting. Yes. The movie stops for this. Uh The guards stop. They're able to converse. We hold on Paul McCartney's face. So it's like, all right, everyone, we're going to let you know it's him. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I, I hated this so This is like David Bowie and Zoolander Chuck Norris and Dodgeball These cameos that really shouldn't fit But they're played straight So you, you kind of laugh like this cleverness to game Like David Bowie to judge a fashion show This is just, hey, we got Paul McCartney somehow And we got to find a way to put him in the movie I mean, at least he looks better than Keith Richards does at this point But what do the Rolling Stones and the Beatles Have to do with one another? Like, what is the point? Other than to show that Johnny Depp is friends with Paul McCartney and Keith Richards. It's, I mean, Keith Richards, at least, Daddy Sparrow did something, right? He was there for exposition. He brought the book out, but he, at least in the third one, I don't want to talk about last week, but he did something, right? There was a purpose, like it or not. There is no purpose for this. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't move the movie along. It doesn't give us important information. The only thing this does is remind me, what do we need for Beatles reunion? Two more bullets. God damn. Ouch. Exactly. <laughs> like, one, I can't stand Paul McCartney anyway. This sticks out like a peg leg. It's amazing how poorly this is shoved in here. Well, can we agree to live and let your grudges die, please? <laughs> And the other thing about Keith Richards' cameo was that was a cute cameo, quote-unquote cute, because that was who Johnny Depp based that character on. And here, Paul McCartney is, well, just here. So Jack is sent to be executed by a new invention, the guillotine, even though it's been around for 300 years at that point. That's the Dark Ages. If we're hanging witches, believe me, the guillotine has been around for a while. A simultaneous execution with her and Karina, where she's going to be hung, he's going to be beheaded, and they keep arguing back and forth about kill her first or kill me. Henry comes in to make the rescue. The, uh, we have to watch Jack just mug in front of the camera as the guillotine, <laughs> as the guillotine <laughs> keeps rotating. Just the, the slapstick in this is not funny. This is basically if Charlie Chaplin had eight concussions and a fifth of scotch before every take. This is that period of time, what was it, in the second movie when they're on that island and he's doing all that slapstick to get away from it. This is just that kind of extended a little bit. But yeah, it definitely went on a little too long. It overstays its welcome. And we've seen execution rescues, what, three times already? And this is Mm -hmm. the least engaging of them all. And yeah, that guillotine sketch keeps fucking going and it's never funny so it can't become unfunny and go around to becoming funny again it just drags on and the only thing that made me kind of chuckle and i felt bad for laughing about it is 
Henry and Serena doing the little sex pun, whether he's grabbing her fore or her aft. And that's as good as it got, and that ain't very good. No, the bar is very low when it comes to making you laugh in this movie. So they all managed to escape, thanks to Gibbs and company coming back to make the save. But before they set sail, they tie up Henry and Karina and have to use this conveyor belt contraption to get their ship in the water, because it's the name, the Dying Gull. That's sort of how I feel about Johnny Depp's career at this point. They set sail, and Karina says, I don't know where the map is. we got to wait for it to turn tonight. They try to bait her by throwing Henry off the side of the ship, but it turns out that he lands in a canoe safe and sound. I laughed at yeah, that. Yeah, at least we're seeing the pirates act like pirates. Yeah. Yeah, that was a cool reveal, actually. I really had fun with that. But he lands in such a way that if the laws of physics applied in this movie, which they don't based on that guillotine, he'd be bleeding out in that canoe with the force that they threw him on. <laughs> but I feel like they're trying to make us believe that these two are going to be Will and Elizabeth. I never get the fun of that from either one. And I didn't like Orlando Bloom in that first one, but I sure as hell can't stand this guy playing Henry. Really? Yeah. yeah. Serena, I enjoy, but yeah, I can't stand this guy. You know what? I got to disagree with you. I like this Henry character. I'm enjoying their rapport. Now, they don't have much chemistry. I'll go with you on that. I wasn't really big time rooting for them to get together, but I found the swashbuckling along with these two going along with it and going along for the ride. I found them quite endearing, actually. Well, I think it's like going along for the ride in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. <laughs> Salazar makes his way to Barbosa's ship, holds them all hostage, and says, basically, every time I tap my sword, I'm going to kill somebody, so talk fast. Barbosa says, I'll bring you to Jack by sunrise the next day, or you can kill me. So Salazar agrees, and they start heading towards the, I guess, wherever Jack is, because Barbosa has the compass now. They never explain how the witch got it, by the way. No. I guess she, no. No. she went into that bar. Yep. Now, Matt, you're with this Salazar character, right? You really do like him, correct? Yeah, I like him as a villain a lot. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Adam, what about you? From the moment he shows up on screen, I can't stand Captain Salazar. Really? I, I Yep, and I held it. I don't like the way he looks. I can't stand the floaty hair and floaty clothes. Wow. The way that he's speaking, his demeanor, and I know that he's deliberate in it and the way that he moves and the way he's like duck, so he's supposed to come at it like a bull and a matador. I can't stand anything. This is for me, the worst villain we've got in this entire franchise by leaps and bounds. Oof, last week, dude. I will take multiple Blackbeards over Captain Salazar. I'll take Beckett over Captain Salazar, and I hated oh, Beckett. Oh, uh, them fighting. Yep. I'm telling you, I, I, now I know how people feel when they feel like I'm a troll. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I can't go with you there, pal. Again, I always think there's something interesting to look at when it comes to Salazar. And, yeah, everybody has a vendetta against Jack. Jack is the enemy of the entire ocean, and that gets tiring pretty quick. But, again, they're bringing the fun that I was missing last week and the week before, honestly. This is a fun movie so far, and it is the exact kind of fast food that you're looking for when you don't want to spend too much on fast food. Well, the fast food should describe the CGI they used to deep fake a young Johnny Depp, because it looks like okay. it looks like they did it in 30 seconds in these flashbacks. Yeah, this is bad. This is when they talk about Luke on the Mandalorian and how that voice is all digitized and that character, I mean, it just looks like a straight robot. This it reminded me of that. 
and they put Johnny Depp's voice in this actor and they took I guess they said they took it from like 21 Jump Street or something like oh, they, they took his face from way back then yeah and uh, Gilbert Grape and they put it on this actor and yeah it's very distracting I know what they're going for with this and I do like again that they we're tying it into this character in a way that I like as opposed to last week but this was very distracting yeah I mean it, Disney stop and, doing this stuff I, yeah I, I don't and like they, it they at keep any doing point. it I didn't like it in Age of Ultron I don't like it in this it doesn't look good. Grand Moff Tarkin looks better than Jack Sparrow does here. Uh, I, I, I think I'd still... Oh, boy. Those, again, we're, <laughs> we're going to fight about that. Hold that for about another eight months or so. At least I'm uh, dead and in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> well, not yet. It was in the trailers, and I'll say, in the trailer, I think he looks pretty good. But I think it's also because he's standing there not saying anything. As soon as it moves and talks, that face just can't keep up. Mm-hmm. But they do a uh, smart thing where they don't show it that much. You only get a few sh- short glimpses at it. And so I think they knew what they had and they were trying to shoot around it. I, I have a problem with this based on just principle. Mm-hmm. I hear you. A, I'm tired of every villain has a vendetta against Jack Sparrow. It's only him. And B, I hate when we do this in movies all the time. We're going to talk about this. At least a few times with Star Wars, we're going to talk about Indiana Jones. You don't need to explain where every single piece of minutia came from a character. They explain mm-hmm. the compass. They explain the hat. Oh, this is Solo. All done right here. <laughs> here's your sword. Here's your hat. Here's your compass. There's group thing happening at Disney. And I think the only time this deep fake shit has looked good was when they de-aged Michael Douglas and Ant-Man. Even that was weird looking, though. Yeah, but that one, I'm like, okay, I can at least see. And for the record, like, I'm going to send a picture. Like, we post this on the site. I'm going to put a picture of this next to a picture of Johnny Depp in a promotional shot from 21 Jump Street. They look nothing alike. <laughs> it was around that era is what they pulled from. Well, they smooth smooth the face too much. They just smooth the features. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. And that is the problem, yeah. The, the face is just too smooth. You're absolutely right, Adam. But this scene, this entire scene, okay, you have Salazar's ship surrounded by like seven pirate ships, but he's got so much badassery armory that he just, just destroys them all. But Jack is going to sail off, and because he does a fucking Dom Toretto move where he's just going to whip around <laughs> hella fast, and because Salazar ships hits rocks that it's going to decide that it's going to explode like a Jerry Bruckheimer fucking Transformers movie, I had remembered that there was some mystical reason that Salazar and his crew became undead and underwater, and I was waiting for that, and I realized, nope, they left that out. They just, for some reason, never died. Yeah, I guess the Devil's Triangle is like the locker where it's purgatory. I guess. But but yeah, they can't turn left, and apparently they they were carrying 6,000 tons of TNT on the hull of their ship because it just explodes Thank God this wasn't the Titanic and they hit that iceberg. Everything just exploded. At least those people would have died a quicker death. Now, Matt, we spent a lot of time in the previous podcast really talking about the budget to this. Was this another really, really high-budgeted film? Well, there's a $100 million fluctuation point between the low end and the high end, so yeah. Barbosa and Salazar catch up with Jack, send him off on an island, I guess go seek the trident. But Salazar says, release the Kraken. Oh, sorry, wrong franchise. Well, what's the best we can do? We don't have torpedoes. We have sharks that we just keep as torpedoes that we can throw into the water and they get resurrected. As stupid as this is, and I think this is lunacy, this is fucking awesome. 
<laughs> I agree with you. I loved this shit. This was awesome. This was up there with the best of the fourth movie last week when we were talking about the mermaids. I had a lot of fun with this scene. They don't look real, though, which is part of my problem. Though. No, of course not. Nothing in this movie looks real. <laughs> really, if, you come, if it comes down to it. But the way they move in the water and the way their faces are half off, this is ridiculous. But goddamn, I had a blast. I'd rather be watching Jaws 3D than these freaking undead sharks. Well, you'll get your wish in a few years. We're going to hold you to that. <laughs> they sent the sharks to go after Jack, although the sharks are not very effective because they all just run on the water to the island. But much like Davy Jones, they can't step foot on dry land or they dissolve. So we're just repeating the same shit we've seen already. Which, why leave? Yeah. Jack's on an island. you got two choices. He's going to leave the island. So why are you going to sail away? No one you can't step foot on dry land and kill him. And, oh, God. I do like that Karina says, fuck this, and just runs away. Yes. I've lost but, my map. But Henry and Jack run into some Ewoks, apparently, on this island, because they get stuck in a net, and the movie stops for five minutes for this wedding scene. Did you notice where this wedding is taking place? Inside the Kraken skeleton, right? Yes, it's inside the skeleton of the Kraken. That, Although it shouldn't cool. have yeah, a skeleton, it's a cephalopod. Yeah. I, I thought this was fun. Oh, my God. I don't need the wedding. I hate the guy. I hate the wife. I hate everything else. I love it being inside the Kraken, though. Yeah. I just, but I, I don't understand I don't, why this is here at yeah. all. How long have these people been on this island? They, they already have a priest there. We just have to watch Johnny Depp mug. I've seen cases of root beer that don't have as much mug as there is <laughs> Johnny Depp in this movie. Although I do like that Barbosa just shows up and shoot, starts shooting people. So that's kind of <laughs> Yeah. There's fun to be Barbosa had at this, gives at this, no yeah. in this movie. No, none whatsoever. Barbosa manages to free the Black Pearl from the bottle, but not before it becomes a miniature. Jack just has to throw it in the water. It's like a gremlin, apparently. You have to get it wet. So Gibbs and company manage to break out because they're stuck in a jail cell. They row back to Barbosa's ship. I guess they all forgot that Salazar is still there. <laughs> like, this movie has no sense of geography. No, no, it does. No, the no. compass is broken. <laughs> no. And you know what? And that is where I will ding these guys is these two directors. Because say what you will about all of Verbinski's films, but you always knew where you were when it came to those films. Here, you guys are right. There's so much going on, and he can't really keep the ship right. They can't keep the ship from going way out there and having us lose exactly where they are. So while they're on Barbosa's ship, Mentioned Fast and Furious with that bank heist scene because this movie turns into something that's all about family and they reveal that Karina is the long lost daughter of Barbosa who we purposely left at an orphanage and left her the diary. My question is why? Who thought this was a good idea? Because of the sacrifice that's made later and they wanted to mean uh, something. It would have been better if he didn't know. She already knew and was looking for him. You know, but that he knows about it. He knows who she is. It just doesn't make sense with the way the movie's playing out. Hmm. Jack has the correct response. How did you, someone who's so ugly, produce something that hot? (laughs) (laughs) These movies are all about family at the end of the day. (laughs) We're getting to that later this year, too. Look, if, if Dominic Toretto showed up in this movie, it would not be 
The GTO fucking flying through the ocean. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, because this plot is so straightforward, they just try, desperately try to come up with filler to meet that two-hour runtime. This well, movie should have been 90 minutes with how straightforward well, it is. Well, and again, what these guys said was they wanted to bring back the fun and they wanted to bring back the emotion that came with those first two films. And I see what they're going for here. They're not quite throwing it down the middle, but I would call it a strike on the corner. I think right now I'm still having a hell of a lot more fun than I did last week. This movie for me is a series of foul balls where they're, they're making contact, but it's just out of my strike zone of enjoyment. Because also we have Salazar's ship that turns into Pac-Man. It's eating the ships. <laughs> and his ship's masthead can come to life. Cool effect, though. That's cool. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, none. What has in this series, though? The first one's pretty good about its internal logic. There's very few things in those first two movies where I'm like, all right, that doesn't make any sense. Whereas these later ones, they're just trying to come up with anything new. It's like, all right, we've never had a ship come to life before. I guess we can do that. And Barbosa has a magic sword, which he never uses. Thank you. Yeah. If he has the sword from Blackbeard, and we saw what that sword can do, and how not just his own ship, but how it can take control of other ships, because that's how he got the pearl, Barbosa never uses that sword. The only thing that sword ever does this entire film is pierce the bottle that the pearl is in. That's it. There's a fight between all parties involved. Faramir shows up again and gets killed off because I forgot <laughs> forgot he was in this movie. You got former undead crew fighting the current undead crew. They manage to get to the island where the trident is located. They use the ruby inside the diary. I was getting major Crystal Skull vibes. And because the writers are all out of ideas, they decide Salazar can possess people now. Because <laughs> And body hopping where he takes over Henry's body. This is cool, though, that they fight at the bottom of the ocean. Absolutely it is. Yeah, this is the sole reason for it, and I like it. The initial director that they pitched this to was Sam Raimi, who said no. Sam Raimi uses the freaking body hopping in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and I swear it was taken from this. Also, how does Salazar know he can do that if they've been trapped in the Devil's Triangle this whole time? Why didn't you do it the last two hours of this film? Why didn't you take over Henry's body on the ship and just go kill Jack? <sighs> I don't know what makes less sense, this or Transformers 5. Like, <laughs> Transformers 5... You're going to bring that up again. You remember Transformers 5, that's the one with Merlin and shit, with the sword? Yep, it's yep. the same thing yep. here, where it's a, we have to stab a phallic object into a hole. They all have this fight where they're fighting on the bottom of the ocean... The curse is broken, but Salazar's crew realizes he can't breathe underwater anymore. <laughs> Which was awesome. Loved it. I did like, I thought that was a smart moment. That it's broken. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my great, the curse is broken. Oh crap, we're currently drowning underwater. Yeah. Water. yeah. Salazar goes for the death blow on Sparrow, but he's saved by the diary, which is, that's not <sighs> thick enough to withstand that depth of a stab. I'm sorry. I saw this coming 30 minutes ago when he placed it in his freaking breast pocket. So, they literally are going to break the curses because they break the trident. They're all trying to escape. Barbosa comes back down on his ship, tries to rescue Karina. She sees the tattoo on his arm, which is the confirmation that they are indeed father and daughter. And he sacrifices himself, taking Salazar with him to the depths of the ocean. Nice moment. I like that. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that the movie stops to mourn him. Although it's weird that the villain of the first movie has now become the savior in this one. But... That goes back to Star Wars. And it goes further than that. I understand that. But the villain becomes the hero. At least there's no additional ADR. Who knows? Maybe these will get the Lucas treatment at some point. (laughs) 
Oh, the curse is broken. They're all back on the ship. Henry and Karina go to the island, I guess, where he grew up, where it turns out that Will is freed of the Dutchman, strolls back from the ocean onto the island, into the waiting arms of Elizabeth, a hundred miles away in England. <laughs> shot on a road oh my god never shot with orlando bloom in this film <laughs> no and it's a total lord of the rings rotating landscaping shot of the stunt woman running towards this other stunt man and from what i heard as you mentioned matt orlando bloom was like yeah i'm coming back and Kieran knightley was on in the press saying yeah that was a part of my career i want to put it behind me i don't want any more part of it but I guess there was a groundswell of people saying, you got to come back. So at the last minute, literally the last minute, maybe a month before this fucker was supposed to come out, they shoot this. And you said shoehorned earlier. My God, this is fucking boothorned in. This is crazy. But it's a nice moment. I'm not going to downplay the moment. I think the moment's nice. And they bring back the theme from the third film. I dug this part, actually. So the question is, now that the curse is broken, what's going to happen to all those souls that need to go to heaven? It yeah. looks like fuck them. <laughs> Dustman needs a captain. That part yeah. wasn't a curse. Yeah, that's not a curse. That's in the indeed job description. <laughs> so their family's reunited, which is good. It's it's good closure. But then we come back to Jack, and the crew is fully on board with him, even though they are right back to square one. They don't have any money. They just went around in circles. Hey, but he's got the monkey. He's got the monkey, and he's got the black pearl back, which he has not had. Yeah. He has not had technically since the second movie. Mm-hmm. As he. Realizes he's the captain, adopts Barbosa's monkey Jack, and says, Pirates lay for him as credits roll for 10 minutes until the post credit scene. And you guys have been talking every single podcast. Oh, there's a post credit scene. There's a post credit scene. And I haven't stuck around until this one. I stuck around for this one. And what the fuck did I just I'm watch? sorry. This is the one you stuck around for? <laughs> yeah, this is the one I stuck around for. <laughs> God damn you two. <laughs> so this one, at least Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley were on set together because they're in the bed. Yes. Mm-hmm. See the silhouette of Davy Jones try to make a stab at Will. Will wakes up and it's all a dream. Or was it? Because we cut the barnacles at the bottom of... Yep. This shit makes no goddamn sense. None. None. Not that we're ever going to see a sequel. I don't think we're going to follow up on this at all. But that's... Bruckheimer has his way. That's a conversation we'll we talk have about at it. the end of this. But that does it for Pirates of the Caribbean 5, Dead Men... Take no paychecks. Uh, on, a, on a scale of <laughs> one to ten, what do you give this movie? Uh, I'm going to Garrett first because I think you might be the most positive of the three. Damn right, I'm going to be the most positive here. I- I'm listening to you two go back and forth. So, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? You guys are just <laughs> really down on this thing. I'm not going to say this is anywhere near the top tier of a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Because that first movie, and we'll give our rankings, it's not even going to come close to that. But I think it's in the same spirit. I think Depp is not nearly as annoying as last week, despite what my co-hosts are going to say in their reviews. I think that this thing goes to a pretty good conclusion. I liked Will's son here. I liked Henry a lot. Karina, I went back and forth on. But you know what? I could say a lot of the same stuff about the first film, and I had a good time with that. I'm not going to give this anywhere near what I gave the first film, but I'm going to go six. The best one I have seen since the second one, and I'm going to stand by that. I, I think the spirit is here, even if Johnny Depp's nose is into a little bit of white stuff as he's performing these scenes. I had more fun with him than I have in a while. So I want to go 6 out of 10 for Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. 
So Garrett tilts his ship into a seal of approval. Adam, what about you, sir? It's amazing that there is one Pirates of the Caribbean film where the title actually has a line from that ride. And it's this one here, Dead Men Tale, No Tales. You hear it in the ride. And there's Dead Men That Tale a Tale, and it's a tale of woe for this movie. The heart, the fun, the excitement that I got in the other films, even some of the ones that I didn't enjoy as much, I don't think any of that is here. I think the screenwriting was sloppy. I think it happened on set. I think it didn't happen on set, and that's part of the problem. I think any time that Jack Sparrow's face is not 100% in focus, I think it's a stunt double that's getting ADR'd. I think that ADR is not even done by Johnny Depp. I think you can tell that in some of the scenes. There's not really much of anything here that I like in this film, and and that's disappointing. I don't want to rage against this movie, but I have an anger for this thing like Salazar has for Jack. I'm so disappointed for what it is. I think that it came together hastily. I think that the screenwriting is just not only subpar, but I think it was abysmal. I think the effects don't stand up. I don't think that Salazar looks good at all. I don't think the effects of the hair, the clothes, I know what they're going for, but I don't think it looks good. I don't think the story jives. I think that this Trident MacGuffin could have been a worthy setup. In fact, it was teased in the last film with the voodoo doll, but in a way to try to disconnect from the last movie this one suffers so much from it. I enjoyed Karina. I think that Kaya, not going to attempt her last name because I'm going to butcher it, does a good job. I enjoy seeing the original crew together. But other than that, no, this film just really, really doesn't do it for me. I am so disappointed by the end of it, and it's a shame. The music is good. There's a few decent battles. But for a Pirates film, I think it's clear why immediately after this they said they were gonna reboot it with a different cast and actress and then they haven't even made a move whatsoever and i think it's because of this one here i'm gonna be generous though more generous than this film was to me and i'm gonna give it a four four on ten to six on ten i don't agree with either of you because i have a different score Garrett, we should accompany this episode with Steeler's wheel because i'm stuck in the middle of both of you this is a movie that when i look at it in comparison to the other movies I do appreciate that the storytelling is considerably more straightforward. There's nowhere near the twists and turns that kind of undid at World's End. It's also not as boring or dull as some of On Stranger Tides. But what holds this back is Jack Sparrow. I feel like he's the anchor of this movie weighing everything down. And I understand that Depp at the Trident and the Power of the Seas as the architect for this character, but I think... We have crossed the line. If the fourth one dipped its toe into the water of too much of a good thing, this one drowns in it. I enjoy Javier Bardem considerably. I think he elevates this material like he does with almost everything because he's such a great actor. And I don't think Christoph Waltz would have done that. I think we would have gotten what he did in The Three Musketeers where he just looked disinterested. Not that I recommend any of you watch that movie. Please don't watch The Three Musketeers of him in it. I said to you, would you watch Pirates 5? Or if you asked that of me, I wouldn't know what to tell you. Because me as someone who has enthusiasm, especially for the first two, calling this the third best Pirates movie is the definition of a backhanded compliment. I share that with Garrett, but I'm not as positive. I think if this had another pass to really bulk up the humor and someone to rein in Johnny Depp's bullshit, I think you could have had something, maybe not on the same wavelength as the first one, but something pretty darn close. You have a sense that this was changed a lot on spontaneity based on actors that they could get between Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley slash Jeffrey Rush, you know, tying everything back and kind of taking a step back. So I'm going to land on a five on ten. 
it's okay. I don't hate it, but I don't think this is something that I will be going back to anytime soon. And it must be said, too, I complimented Depp in this, but he's one of the only actors to be nominated for an Oscar and for a Raspberry for the same role. <laughs> this was when it was people were really starting to turn on him. And it's a shame. It really is that mm-hmm. he has turned out to be how he is. Um, and I'm not here to judge him on that. I'm just saying just the way the public outlook has changed about him. It was choices like this and the ego that got carried away that took him to where he is right now, which I doubt we'll see him on screen for quite a number of years. Now time for us to pay tribute and rank all five of these movies. So do we want to do this person by person or do we go movie by movie and just say where it is? Let's go person by person. All right. Well, since you recommended it, why don't you go first with your... uh... (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) I have the first one as my number one. I think there was something so fresh about that movie. And we saw the rebirth of a movie star in that. And very, very rare do you see that happen. And it was just a joy revisiting that movie. With number two, I will go with the second film, Dead Man's Chest. I found Dead Man's Chest to be a good revisit. There were a lot of things about it that had me really rethinking my initial assessment of that movie. And I had more fun with that. Maybe it's just because I saw it in closer proximity to the first one. And I was going more with what they were doing with that than I was back in 2006. But man, just such a fun time with Dead Man's Chest. Yeah, that's my number two. Number three, I'll go with this one. I think Dead Man Tell No Tales It tries really, really hard to bring that spirit back. And in some ways, it succeeds. And in the ways that it succeeds is why I had so much fun with it. I just think there was a lot more fun to be had than the next two. It's not great, but it was a good way to conclude the series. Because I was seriously thinking that we were going to go way down a fucking roll pool after the previous two. And then my number four. Four is going to be last week's movie on Stranger Tides solely because those mermaids were badass. I love the mermaid attack scene in that. And in my final choice, there's nothing I loved except for the score. That World's End is just a terrible, terrible movie that I will never revisit again. That one hurt to get through and it didn't help that it was the longest one. It was almost three hours long. Yeah, that World's End is just the worst of the worst. So there's my list. Adam, do you want me to go next? No, I'll go ahead and go. You've shepherded this thing. I'll let you tie up the mast at the end. For me, I agree that Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, absolutely number one on my ranking as well. We talked about that one. Huge affinity for that film. I thought it did some great things. I'm also going to have Dead Man's Chest at number two. I was surprised how much I still really enjoyed that movie, and it brought back the enjoyment that... I didn't realize I had for it. So Dead Man's Chest strong at number two. Then I go with On Stranger Tides at number three. I like Blackbeard that much. I like the mermaids that much. I like the ideas that that film did so much that that one is my number three. And then it really falls off a cliff. I mean, there's a big step between my second and third ranking, but between three and four, it goes over the edge of the world for At World's End, which is my fourth rank. I still think there's some beautiful visuals and music in that film. And then last on my list, the shortest film that feels the longest for me is the one we just talked about, Dead Man Tale No Tales. Wow. So just for the record, everyone, all three of us have a different movie ranked at the bottom of our respective lists. Here chose At World's End as his five. Adam went with 
Dead Men Tell No Tales. And I'm going with On Stranger Ties as my number five. I think that is the weakest film in the series. I think the direction really hurts it. And so much of the pacing creating an absence of stakes, I think, are my biggest critiques of that movie, which we talked about last week. So I'm working from bottom to up since I have a different number one than you guys do. So after On Stranger Tides being at my bottom, second for the bottom at World's End, really overstays its welcome. And I don't hate it like Garrett does, but, you know, I recognize the faults. But I thought it tied up everything as, relatively speaking, until this movie, which is my number three. I have Dead Men Tell No Tales at the third spot. It's a distant third. You know, if we were playing Mario Kart, this would be the movie that got hit by a red shell and had it finished delayed by about ten seconds. Now... <laughs> We pivot to my number two, which is Curse of the Black Pearl. It achieves everything it's set out to do. It's one of the great surprise successes of all time. But it's not my favorite. Dead Man's Chest is my favorite. That's my number one. For all the reasons that I espoused on that show, I think it took everything that the first one did and actually upped it in a lot of ways when it comes to the villain specifically, the technological advancements behind that, but also really fleshing out your three main characters while still keeping Jack where he should be in the background. So that's it, at least as far as we think for Pirates of the Caribbean, because Adam touched on the supposed plan for this franchise after number five was that we were going to get two things. Disney was reportedly trying to do a sixth movie. Kaya Scotelaria said she was contractually signed for a sixth film. But what happened was, well, Johnny Depp's personal life. And he said on record, I'm not going to do another Pirates movie. But Bruckheimer has come out and said... He'd be willing to work with them again. And if Bruckheimer's fit in the bill and he could back up that Brinks truck, I would not count him not being in another one, especially if it meant another springboard to his career. Well, I would not be well, surprised either. To quote pro wrestling, never say never. Exactly. Um, we never thought Bret Hart would come back to the WWE. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm sure part of, then, part of that was because of money, but... Um, weren't they also going to bring back... They, they were going to bring in Kate Blanchett no, or something, weren't they? So there was no. going to be... A female spinoff starring Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie, that was yeah. it. Robbie yeah. has said as of last year that that project's not happening. Oh, okay. Because Disney saw the grosses on Birds of Prey. <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> Margot Robbie. Which we talked and about. And the same writer as Birds of Prey was attached to it. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, oh, thank God that didn't happen. Yeah, Christina Hudson. Oh. Although Christina Hudson is also, she's got something coming out this year. Oh, I think she's writing The Flash. Yeah, mm. I think so. She, she, Good for she her. did Bumblebee, right? And, Best Transformers film. Yeah. But yeah, so I I think Pirates of the Caribbean is going to be something that's treading water for at least a few years. Now, since Depp's whole ordeal, Adam, you've been to Disneyland. Have they taken all that Sparrow stuff out, or is it still there? They have not. And it's why, you know what? Ask me a year ago, and I say there's no chance he comes back. Now, I think, to answer your question directly, all the Jack Sparrow stuff is in the rides. He's there three times in the rides, both in Disneyland and in Florida. I believe Shanghai Disneyland has it the same way. Hong Kong Disneyland is a completely different Pirates of the Caribbean ride, so I don't think Jack was ever involved. But Depp, Jack Sparrow, is in the majority of all the Pirates rides around the world. So is Captain Barbosa, actually. I think if they were to say, look, here's $50 million flat out. You don't have to worry about points. You don't have to worry about back end. Just come do it. I think they both would be interested. you got an old CEO back as current CEO temporarily yeah. at Disney. He's not going to stick around more than a year and a half left. And let's be honest, Depp 
needs a boost, and as much as he's got demons, I still think he's got business smarts enough to know what can kind of kickstart some shit. And I think he's got friends that he knows. Look at somebody like RDJ who could say, look, let's get our shit together. Look what this company did for me. They can do it again for you. And I think it's easily possible. I think it was just this week. And you talk about a guy who needs to revitalize his career. Will Smith is doing another Bad Boys film after saying yeah, that. Yeah, After saying that that was never going to happen again. Hollywood loves a success story, and if they can market it, they will. Bottom line for me is never say never. If he does come back, I would not be the least bit surprised. But I think Disney is so focused now on Marvel. That is their big property. That everything else is secondary to them at this juncture. Even with the big Avengers movie, even with the whole conclusion of all those phases, you think they're still mainly focused on that? Well, look at just the quantity of content that's come out since Endgame. TV mm. shows, we're getting... I haven't been paying yeah, attention well, to it. Well, I'm enlightening you, so to speak. And we're getting big Avengers movies upcoming. They've already greenlit Avengers mm. 5 and 6. With, okay. with Star Wars, at least on cinema, being on the, back, on the back yeah. of Vogue Squadron and that happening and a bunch of other projects. I just think Pirates is going to be one of those things that it won't happen unless the fence is mended between Johnny Depp and company. And if you get a director who comes in and says, I would actually like to do it. They're doing another Haunted Mansion film that's already in production, not filming, but in production. They're doing Big Thunder Mountain as a film. They're back to doing the Kingdom films and turning their rides into movies. Thunder Mountain they're yeah, doing? Which is wow. funny because they've gone through like five different scripts for Space Mountain and they can't get that off the ground. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. So now that we're weighing anchor, we're leaving pirates away, at least until Disney makes another movie. We are considering doing a Patreon exclusive that ties in, but I won't reveal that until it actually happens. But speaking of which, we are going to our next series. And we're not going back to Stephen yes. King yet because we have one more stop. And it's a, it's a planet. It's a franchise that Garrett has really been begging Adam and I to do. Yes, because I want to do it right this time. These guys were able to do Batman last year. I said, you know what? If they get to do Batman, then this year... I get to do Superman, which is a franchise that is near and dear to me. And I know what people are saying. You did that at Binge. I did do it at Binge, but again, it was so truncated that I had to talk about a series of movies and basically one podcast. And if someone knows me, I can talk a lot of Superman. And I didn't really feel like those shows came off as well as I was hoping because they were just there to build up to Batman versus Superman. So we did one show for Batman, one show for Superman, and that was basically it. We're going to do it the right way this time. We're going to do one movie at a time. We're not going to start off with George Reeves. He did do Superman and the Mole Men. We're going to skip that. We're going to talk about it, though. We're going to start with the first Christopher Reeve film from 1978. Then we're going to do Superman 2. Only Superman 2, the Richard Lester cut. We will talk about the Donner cut in the course of it, but that's not going to be a separate show. Then we'll do Superman 3. Oh boy, do I have... That show by itself could probably be two and a half hours with how much I have to say about that. I have so much to say about that one. And then Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, which, oh boy, talk about a troubled production. And I know what people are saying. It's like, wait a second, Supergirl came out after Superman 3. Yes, I we realize that. Those are going to be a whole separate set of shows later on down the line. Just for next month, we are doing Superman 1, Superman 2, Superman 3, and Superman 4. And it is something I have been begging these guys to do. And when Matt was putting the schedule together, I'm like, you got to put Superman on there. You got to put Superman on there. And uh, I'm finally getting to do it. And I'm so excited about it. I already have notes down for the first film. And I'm going to be recording with these guys about that movie pretty soon. And... Oh, man, that might be a three-hour show. 
I have so much to say about it. I wish I could match your enthusiasm about Superman. I will do my best. Well, it's also the first set of comics I ever got into. I mean, I had Superman pajamas. I I had it all as a child. And that was the series that got me into comics. And I went down and I would get them by the bundle because I fell in love with that character with that movie. And I'll talk about all the reasons why next week. I think this is where the generational things are going to come in. Because you got to remember, I grew up at a time where Superman was not in vogue. True. Yeah, you you grew up at a time when Nicolas Cage was about ready to yeah, play Yeah, I grew him. up at a time where that was happening, <laughs> but he was, he was a rock star in animation, but live action, he needed a facelift, which we'll talk about over the summer when we do Supergirl and both attempts at a reboot, mm-hmm. Superman Returns and Man of Steel. We are going to do BVS again from Superman's yes. point of view. That is something mm-hmm. we have decided to do. And I think that show will be considerably shorter than the one that was Because, well, if you've seen uh, the movie, you know why. But we're going to close the chapter on Pirates. This has been a fantastic voyage. I'm so glad we finally did this after several attempts for me to convince the big guy to do it. I think it's turned out great. I get to stop manning the helm and listen to Garrett fawn over Superman while I get to be that asshole who goes, well, in the comics he did that. So, until next time, when we do Superman the movie, yo-ho, yo-ho, a podcaster, life for me. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, guys. Ten years I devoted to the duty you charged me. Ten years I looked after those who died at sea. And finally, when we could be together again, you weren't there. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast, exclusively here at Percolated Media. We're not out of this yet. Join us next week for an entirely new review. Destroying my civic duty, sir. And if you would be so kind, please take a moment and give us a positive review and rating on your podcast platform of choice. You have a date to pay. It truly helps others find and discover our podcasts. This ship cannot be crewed by two men. You'll never make it out of the bay. Sam, I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. Savvy. The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. Come to join me, crew lad. Welcome aboard.
edited by Garrett. Do you know how long I've been waiting for this moment? Voiceovers by Adam. I will not have that smile on your face as I strike you down. The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is for review and discussion, and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. I uh, apologize if I seem forward, but I must speak my mind. I gotta go. Then you're right, Deb's career needed this. See, for me, of all the weird stuff that he'd done between the last two, to me, the only one I actually cared for, and I think I'm one of the five, was Transcendence. I fell asleep and didn't finish it. Uh, <laughs> you cannot be serious you like that movie. You are out yeah. of your fucking That's the mind. guy, by the way. That movie we should include in Stephen King, because it's yet uh, another attempt at doing The Lawnmower Man. It's The Lawnmower Man, that's why. <laughs> I fucking hate that movie. I watched 45 minutes, and I fell asleep. And there was still two hours left to go, and I said, fuck this. Oh. Yeah, you are one of the five people. I think you're also one of the five people who actually finished it, not just liked it. There's some good stuff. He did Catch Me If You Can with Spielberg. but He also did The Terminal with Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, he did one of Spielberg's best movies and one of his worst movies. Which Adam says he's one of the three people who really liked that movie. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, and, and not just Depp, but Disney's live-action banners were not doing well. You look at something like Tron Legacy, which did okay, but they lost money just on so many other live-action films that, what, almost 14 years later, they still haven't started filming a sequel to that one, and it's just one after another. Prince of Persia was ridiculed in a joke. Tomorrowland, that's another one where I love that film, but it got blasted huge. Yeah, their live-action things just cannot get off the ground, except for Marvel, Star Wars, and Pirates. He's going to keep bringing up Tron until we do it, Matt. It's going to be every single fucking podcast until we do it. Yeah, it's, you're going to have to shoot me out of a cannon to get me in that theater. Cause <laughs> you say Tron, which I'm already not sold on, and then you add Jared Leto, I just have no desire to go. But uh, fuck I, I want to go to Davy Jones' locker and just stay there. <laughs> versus, but I will say the, so the marketing for this movie you go with this you, you can you can definitely do worse see last week so he tells oh go ahead no it's okay we'll get there it's funny when they introduced they call him the Dread Pirate Barbosa, but they never go back to that title and I liked it calling him the Dread Pirate Barbosa just makes me think of Dread Pirate Roberts and uh um that movie. Yep. Here we go, Adam. <laughs> Princess Bride. There we go. You could do these kind of cameos effectively. Like, I think of stuff like when Sting shows up at Zoolander, 
Is it? No, it's not Stick. Is it David Bowie that shows up in Zoolander? David Bowie. Yep. Yeah, like David Bowie, Zoolander. And here, Paul McCartney is, well, just here. Because he's Paul yeah. McCartney. So I gotta yeah. do something. I gotta yeah. do something that befits this movie. I gotta go take a piss real quick. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bring a bottle. That's what I started doing. <laughs> <sighs> oh, Adam. Um, Lord, I always said, why do we stay at Atlantis? And it's because of the sushi sky bar. So. <laughs> yeah. Was they're remodeling this week, by the way. It's either this week or next week. They're taking it all down and mm-hmm. it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a bitch because that's how we get in. That's how yeah. um, we park out in that, On that side employee parking walk. lot and you got to go through the skywalk <laughs> and they're going to take that all apart. So I don't know how we're going to get in and out and how that's going to work at all. But you still talking about putting yeah. your dick in bottles? <laughs> <laughs> yo ho, yo ho. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is only a 12 ounce bottle. I don't think it would have, I don't think it would have left. All right. All right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Serena, I I enjoy, but yeah, I can't stand this guy. Is it Serena or Karina? It's Karina. Karina. Yeah. No, Ser- Serena's um, her sister. <laughs> you know what? I... I've i seen cases of root beer that don't have as much mug as there is. Johnny Depp in this movie. Well, yeah, it's dad's. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what the I was getting major Crystal Skull vibes. Yep. That's not a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying what it reminded me of. It's been so long since I've seen the movie. They're going to like the velocity of gold, right? Yeah. Well, yep. we'll find out in a few months. <laughs> Stay tuned, uh, listeners. We have to stab a phallic object into a hole. <laughs> Jerry Bruckheimer preening the entire time both ways. Bruckheimer had nothing to do with the Transformers. That was all Spielberg. All Spielberg. Well, I give him far less of a pass. <laughs> That's yeah. true. All right. I have, of course, I think we're all going to have number one as the number one. I, I well, except for one. So we're not all <laughs> yeah, I, no, we're not. <laughs> I have. Oh, fucking. So this Haunted Mansion movie, I, I looked it up just out of curiosity. Oof. So, Garrett, I'm going to read this cast list to you because it's, it's interesting. Rosario Dawson. Lakeith Stanfield. Owen Wilson. Oof. Tiffany Haddish. Danny oh. oh, it gets better. Danny DeVito. Jared Leto. Oh, my Curtis. Winona Ryder. Ooh. There he is. I think the Haunted Mansion is where she left her career, to be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> hey, be nice. Uh, but, but, yeah, I, I'm, we'll, we'll see. That, that comes out in August of this year. Uh, so we wow. might actually review that as a one-off. Who knows? But then mm. we have to watch the Andy Murphy movie. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. As a Disneyland fan, I have not seen that film yet. Oh, and isn't Del Toro? Does Del Toro have something to do with that? No, or no? he is not involved. But there was oh. a there was okay. a Muppet Haunted Mansion that was great. That that is fantastic. Oh. No, Del, Toro, <laughs> Del, Del Toro was signed to write a script. He wrote a script. He submitted it. The artwork he submitted has been hidden. Like, it has never gotten laid. Oh, shit. Um, That's great. But he, at one point, he even put out the logo for what the movie was going to yeah. be. So he was in for it. And then Disney did Disney. You know? yeah, <laughs> Poor he, guy said, yeah. he said, fuck you. I'm going to go make Crimson Peak instead. 
Okay. God, that movie. I have to say Crimson Tide, but I'm like, that's not right. No, that's a good one. <laughs> Although Crimson Tide would be a good uh, subtitle for Pirate Six. I'm a big Crimson Peak defender. Yeah. I love that of movie. Of course you are. <laughs> yeah. we'll, get there. So what are... We'll, we'll get there. Look at 